2: Arsenal in front.
1: You know what's great about hitting rock bottom? Everything looks like you're going up. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. It's a 2-0 victory, and it feels like We're world beaters, doesn't it? Winning a match of football, keeping a clean sheet, scoring multiple goals, and yet, I dare say, it wasn't perfect. And then this is, this is where it kind of becomes a referendum on how you are as a fan. Do you just want to say, look, we won. Tell me all the great things about us winning. Or are you the type of fan who says, we won and that's good. I'd like to sort of analyze whether uh, it was a great performance and what the good things were or what the negative things were. Or are you the type of fan who says, I just want to be miserable. Leave me alone in my cocoon of misery and let me be doomy about the entire thing. But enough about me. Pause on Twitter at pause in My Pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Yeah, if you want the instant reaction pod for patrons, that is available with Tim and myself from yesterday. I am going to endeavor to uh, continue with this this schedule. We are going to try to do uh, previews and instant reactions for patrons, and then full matches, uh, full match pods for everyone else. And uh, we'll see if the schedule gets the better of us because there's another game at the weekend. They just keep coming thick and fast. <laughs> anyway, um, so it is a two nil victory, and I I think that it is a victory that shows us. Some clear uh, bright points and also continues to highlight where some of the weaknesses may be. But Clive, for me, um, the best place to start is always at the beginning. By the way, there's some Ganduzi stuff that we should get to and we will get to, but let's save that for the end because we led with the referees the other time. We didn't get into enough of the football. I want to talk about the football. So, uh, vis-a-vis football, that lineup. Um, a couple of really important things to to note. I mean, first of all, Shaka coming back. Saka keeping that sort of nominal 10 role that, that becomes more like a left midfield role and Kedia, uh, keeping his place as a, as a starting striker holding in Mustafi paired uh, in defense and Emmy Martinez gets a start. So for you, how do you feel about seeing that lineup and what looks to be the way we're going to do it now, this, this sort of this four, four, two, you might call it that really plays like a three, four, three in possession.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, um, When I'm watching these games, I have to be honest with you, my mind goes back to Emery. And it goes back to how he was trying to solve the problems from a coaching perspective. And how he was moving people, moving systems. From a personal point of view, I thought he was a half-decent coach. But I don't think he told his story correctly to us, the fans, to the media, and to his players. But what he was trying to do was trying to solve problems with a set of players, which are pretty one-dimensional. Arteta comes in far more verbose, absolutely laser eyes on us in press conferences, and he absolutely can tell a wonderful story to the media, to the fans. Leaning on our culture, leaning on our history, we all love him. As a coach, We I feel he's, he's superior because he can communicate. He understands his players, and he wants to understand his players. He wants to connect to them. He wants to know their strengths and weaknesses. He wants to make a system which suits them. But I do wonder, some of the things that he's done, how we would deceived them if it was Henry doing them, but what Arteta's doing in in this game, I mean, he must have used about four formations. He must have done, right? So I did a poor rewatch today. We definitely started to kick off in the back five. Mm. Three at the back, with two out
3: wing packs. That was fascinating, isn't it? The first couple of minutes, Clive? To see where, especially if you just track Saka. I mean, uh, Elliot didn't cover the other position Saka played, which was left back. Right from the get go. Yep. And David Hillier on the Arsenal uh, uh, replay of this game says, I, I'm not really sure what, position, what exactly. formation he well, formation." I'll we're turn it back over to, to you, Clive.
1: But what I would say is, I don't think it's left back. I think it's left mid in the 3 4 3. I think it's the two way wow, player on the did. left side of the four. But yeah, go, go ahead, Clive. So, so.
2: So, so there you go. So this is what's so interesting. So he, he plays in areas, Saka does, and he is our fluidity. He dictates it's also like he's like a temperature gauge. Mm-hmm. So when we're when we're in charge, imagine the temperature gauge going up and he goes up that left wing, depending on how much control we're in. And he and he goes up that left wing. And when we're not in control, temperature gets cold, he comes down that left wing.
3: That's five. Yeah.
2: And suddenly he flips into a five. Right? And so, so he's the guy that's dictating. When he moves up down that left hand line, a takes his movement and position from him. So what we have is a far more positional system and we take triggers from each other's movements. The thing is it's only working on one side. <laughs> mm. right? So and the triggers and the movements because because what Saka does, he commits to his movements. So when a player commits, what well, by commit I mean Paul, I mean you go, pull out of a gun, boom, I'm gone. And what that does, it says to the midfielder, I've got to give it to him. I've got to. Look at him, he's going. He's 100%. I've got to give it to him. because this is, this is his biggest trick. He's timing his movement, his explosion off the ball. And it makes it look as though he arrives with so much time and space because he's, run to so, he's timing when the ball goes to the player on the ball, onto his back foot, he's off. And there's only one thing to do, give it to the moving man. That's why he gets so much ball either short passes or long passes, he reads the touch of the player that's receiving the ball. And so Saka makes this it makes me now move away from my thought process. You know, I'm thinking Saka's gonna be a left eight. I'm thinking Clarence Seedorf. I'm thinking Clive, you're on the ground floor on this one, mate. You really picked it But actually <laughs> but actually I'm now I'm now shooting myself down and saying, well actually I don't care anymore. Because what you really want is you want a system that's that's interlinking and that we're moving it's very hard for other coaches to scout. You see what I mean? And analyze. Mm-hmm. Hard to implement, but once you get it, whoa, you're in business. You really are, because it's down to the ingenuity and intelligence of the players under your you know, under your management. So I thought again we saw, Although I was angry on the instant Brighton pod, mm-hmm. I was angry, and I think I've been proven brighter about why I was angry, but it wasn't really an articulate response. We spoke about this Brighton game as being tactically the best game of the season, and I think we've seen a continuation of that in this game. The only thing that we got a reward in the first half, which we haven't had since January, I believe. We've not gone in at halftime, wound one up. Yeah. And that, and so, yeah, I found it really interesting, and
3: it
1: yeah, Paul, I, I, I really don't want to move on without letting you get a, a chance to add to this, so could you do that? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Very sarcastic. Um, so, like, uh, I think Clive did a brilliant job of putting into words this feeling I had in my tummy. <clears throat> I think that's absolutely right on Saka, because uh, th- there's that thing with saints where they have this ability to be in two places at the one time. That's one of the signs that somebody is a saint, This uh, by location capability. The problem for Saka is he can't be in three places so he's a midfielder he's our number 10 and winger at times but he's very definitely a defender as well in the mix here and you see it in the first few minutes. What what caught my eye with this game is Tierney is very progressive in this game. I feel very vindicated by this game in general. It's a sh- shame we weren't actually good in it, but I feel vindicated. <laughs> I can give you a list of six we were players. I'm vindicated. No, we're good.
1: Stop it, stop it. stop <laughs> it. You
3: know the names, right? I even feel vindicated on Coquelin, Giroud and Walcott from this game somehow. But you know the list of names so I won't go through them. Um, Tierney, I thought, was really good. He was our most... Um, uh, progressive player by yards. I mean, that ball over the top to Aubameyang, holy shit, mm-hmm. right? There's only a couple of people who can cross in this team l- like they have a laser. Maybe they're just hitting it into a zone, but it feels like they're hitting a player. S- Saka's one of them. Tierney's one of them. Um, I thought this was a really good game for him, but you look at h- him, Saka. Uh, Stillman went big on Aubameyang, and like I've been noticing that recently but not to the same degree Stillman did and I think Tim did a brilliant job outlining how Aub is kicking in here and then you got um, Chaka in midfield so you got three left lefties there between Tierney Saka and Chaka and, and like that's Stillman's other point is that we should switch we should balance it out and get more creativity on the <clears> right <throat> side to get Pepe going with Bellerin and I get that but it's really hard to move a kind of a critical mass that you have over on that left side you saw in this game with Tierney, Saka, and Aubameyang, and Chaka. Like, he delivered one or two delicious passes in this game, but we didn't have a lot else to produce from midfield. And I just think you have something going on on that side of the game where, on that side of the pitch, where all the interesting stuff is happening, and that fluidity... I always thought there might be a little bit of a challenge with the fact that Tierney and Saka are both kind of touch. They're both lefties, so they'll both take them to the touch line and you won't get that overlap. But we've seen with Saka, he's just so flexible that that's a really interesting combination on that side of the pitch. And I think we're going to be stuck with that creativity coming from the left-hand side for the fact that you have Tierney, who, if he can stay fit is going to be a big factor for us. Uh, Saka, and Obamiang uh, all coming from that side, and the fact that Shaka is kind of, at least at this stage, unmovable anyway. Mm,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting to me, because on the one hand, I think that there are some things that work really well. And look, I love looking at stats and analyzing data. I do think with young players, sometimes you can set that aside, just watch a game and say, does anyone pop off the screen? And Saka does. Saka mm-hmm. has that talent that you just see it. You don't have to have watched football much. You don't have to know the stats. His talent is precocious and it just jumps off the screen. Um, it doesn't hurt that he has some service. I mean, Tierney, I think, passed to Saka 12 times in this game. Whereas Bellerin passed to Pepe once. I believe it's once. It may be twice. And I just think twice. that the... Yeah, twice. twice. Okay, so I mean, I think the way the buildup is working, everything goes down the wings. And it's not even really wings, it's one wing. And so, you know, you have Tierney giving it to Saka. Tierney... Um, you know, sitting in almost like that, that third center back, and and Saka able to come back, drift back, collect the ball, and carry it forward, or get the overlap. And Shaka's over there, and we know that Shaka, the one look, Shaka's one superpower is spraying balls to the wings. That's what he does well. Uh, and he did that here. Bellerin, on the other hand, kind of had a nightmare. And in possession, it just wasn't working for him. He wasn't really able to release the ball well. His touches weren't clean. And whatever you want to say about Pepe, I thought he did some good things with his running and did some good things to try to mm-hmm. get involved. I don't think this was a bad Pepe game. I think that this was a bad... He worked game. really hard. Well, he did. I think it was a bad Ceballos and Bellerin game. And I, I think when you look at what's over on his side, Bellerin playing the right side of the four in the 3-4-3 three, three, and, and Ceballos playing the right-sided midfielder in that three, four, 3 and the influence and pass maps sort of bear that out. And and there's no passes to Pepe. And what's really scary to me, you look at Shaka and you look at who are in the middle of the pitch. There was not a single pass played to Enkedia in the center. Not a single pass played to Abamying and not a single pass played to Pepe from the center of the pitch. We just everything goes down the wings. And so, you know, we get two goals here. One is from great pressing by Nketiah. Really nice job pressing, closing down, being alert and scoring.
3: The other goal. I don't goal think he is, gets credit for that in a sense. In that a lot of people kind of seem to think it was just credit. like. Yeah, I mean, that is, he moves to the pass yeah, and cushions he, he, that to where, like, that ball can go anywhere and he anticipates, moves, cushions.
1: Yeah. That was no, really no question. smart. I, I thought he did really well there. And then the other goal we get is a rebound off a free kick. But if you think about the other chances we created, and the one really clear chance in particular, which is an Aubameyang chance, I mean, it's a, it's a goal kick. You know, and then there's the other yeah. one from uh, from Tierney, which is over the top. So a couple of long balls and a couple of um, you know, rebound off a free kick and pressing. But in terms of the the buildup into the the final third, that's where I still think there's work to be done. And I don't know if it's about deploying more resources there. I don't know if it's about trying to to get somebody to play between the lines. I still don't see someone who plays between the center midfield and the forwards to connect those spaces. And if you look at it. You know Southampton outpassed us in the attacking third, eighty-five to fifty. Um, you know, and and I think that that's that's still an issue we have to work on. So, Clive, for you, you liked this performance. Do you not have some of these concerns that, from a build-up standpoint, it's still not not just wing dominant, but really one wing dominant?
2: Yeah. So I like performance. I like the result so I, tell you, I okay. watch his game. Well, yeah, I love the results I, I take, <laughs> I, I, I take
1: thirty-eight of them in a season. Thank you very
2: much. <laughs> I, I watch this result from behind my fingers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, literally, it was, it was ugly at times. It was a tough to watch, and you know, I'm not going to sit here and say to everybody, "Yeah, this is this is a no-brainer," because people can go back to my in-game tweets and see exactly how I was feeling. Right, so, um, so yeah, we have a situation where we are very, very sort of wide dominated, but. Like I say I'm okay with that, as long as we execute. And we're executing on one side and we're not executing on the other. Now, I think we're developing some core principles, but we haven't developed them all yet. And the reason why we haven't developed them all, and Paul used the word flexibility, we haven't got too many sackers and Aubameyangs whose game and their ability to move and how they take the ball on, how they manipulate the ball. They are flexible players a can play right on the touchline. He can play left back. He can, he can drop off his centre backs, drop off his right back, receive it, turn around. He can go beyond. He can shoot from both sides.
3: He's just awesome. He can shoot. You can just, he's just He can awesome. shoot he can just from the centre of the box. He's an Saka absolute can, stud. Yep.
2: Yeah, and and he plays every game, and he does more sprints than anybody else. And he's thirty-one years of age. Where? Can that guy get signed up? It's so important. Saka now, again, flexibility. Left back in the four, wing back, left eight, left wing. I've heard in training he's killing it as number 10. The guy is a natural. He's played right wing inverted, not so good, but he's tried it. He's being developed, he's being rounded. I hope he's being rounded for us and other people. These players have got the ability, the physicality, the technical ability to receive the ball in different places and then do different things with it is where we need to go. And then we talk about some of the players that are struggling. So Shaka is quite one-dimensional, but his dimension is great. When he is passes, he, the, is it? Well, so I tell you what he does. He gives us a physical presence. He gives us leadership. He gives us comfort. When he passes the ball, it stays past. Right. So we're talking half a yard fizzed in gives you a chance to use the pace of the ball to to the person who receives it to set your man on his heels. Pace of pass is really important to continuity, right, to good players. They want it fisting. They can do things with it. So Saka's one-dimensional. In this Arsenal team, we need him. Where we are in our quality levels, we need him. And then, you try, then you're looking for another player next to him to be quite structural, and this is where Servais isn't structural because he's a, he's a bit more romantic. He wants to feel the ball. He wants a butterfly.
3: to... butterfly. Yeah, thank
2: you, Paul. Yeah, uh, he he wants to be around it. He wants to turn, flick it, to feel it. He wants to just stroke it, roll it over his foot. You, you know, I, I'm I'm getting mad as I'm talking as I'm talking through it because that's not football, right? That's not football when you want. You know, players today are fit. They can close people down. They recognise the patterns. As soon as you get go. When you're playing a the two-in there like that, it's got to go. It's got to move quickly. It's got to move quickly. It's got to be able to play through you, like, like through you like water. And it just doesn't. And I just think he plays the nearest man rather than what the game requires. And so I don't even want him to go on to the right side, but I don't think that we can blame Shaka or Tobias for a lack of essential build-up. Our centre-forward is a bit more of a a pressing centre-forward. If anything, and although I feel he's been massively let down by the lack of service he's getting, I think in this system, I think Pepe had to work slightly harder to come inside and show. You can't always tell. If I was at the game, I'd be able to be more certain. But you can't always tell was he missed out a few times. He definitely was missed out a few times. He made some great runs, got separation, didn't get it. Then I think his head goes down. I mean, he received eight passes in his game earlier. Really. I mean, that is just not good enough. I and mean, in three or four of those situations, I think we created something. He got eight passes. He got got a guy booked. I think he, he got fouled like eight. And one came from a corner. I mean, this is not football. You no, know, this is who, not football. Who's
1: got the responsibility for that, though? I mean, the system well, doesn't help. The players trying to get it to him don't help. Is, is he not making himself available? I mean, Saka. Is is you know, Saka got twelve passes from Tierney and yeah. and Pepe got two from Bellerin.
2: So what right so I'll tell you exactly what's yeah. happening with Bellerin, should I? Shall I just break it down for you? That what's what's happening with him. So when he's receiving the ball, he's not looking outside him. That's difficult. When you receive the ball like that, you, you he's got his shoulders are closed, so they're pointing inwards. His first touch always goes inside. Watch him. When he's dribbling with the ball, watch how he dribbles with the ball. He always dribbles on the inside of his foot, so everything he's dragging him inside. Yeah, we never we never bothered before. You know why? Because he's always been the guy on the outside of the pitch.
1: Yeah, it's not. We so never looked.
2: We mm-hmm. never looked. So if he wants to dribble like that, that's absolutely fine, because everything all the the sun shines on the inside. When we need him in a slightly inverted role, I should use the word inverted because someone told me off for it. Tucked in role, we want him to see a triangle in front of him. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. To spread out his vision. And he's closed, and what he's doing is he's going back inside. He's going back inside to Mustafi more often than not, and the Mustafi is able to play that ball forward. And if he, he doesn't fancy, it. he goes across to Holding. He's quite comfortable on the ball. He gives it to Shaka. He says, "You know what? I'll go out to the left." And it, it, it's it's so it's so it's all down to technicality of your shape, your touch, how you how you close your body up. All you need to do is develop a pattern. Simple thing. Out to Bellerin. He's got to do it off one touch, straight out to Pepe, get in behind. Once he gets in behind, he fixes his man because he's now beyond, to, he's broken the line. And then Pepe can either knock it back to him and go for second phase, or he can do his one on one, knowing that the man thinks he, he might pop it off. So I've got to be cautious. What's happening, not happening on that side? It's a simple move. Goes to Bellerin, out, either goes inside to Tobias on first phase, and Tobias flips it around the corner to removing Pepe, or. You just go straight out to Pepe and you go second in two different phases. I don't sense an understanding on that side. I see, a, I see a right back that's lacking in confidence. I heard someone say he lost the ball 11 times in 33 minutes.
3: That's
1: not good.
2: That is shocking. When a fallback, your ball retention numbers, um, they've got to be on it. 11 times, and I just—I watched the game today, and it went on to the second half as well. It wasn't all his fault. People weren't running for him. He had nothing inside him to connect. And don't forget what I just told you. All his touches are the inside of his foot. So what's he looking for? He's looking for that inside connection. What you just talked about, Elliot, the lack of inside connection from maybe Eddie at centre-forward and the lack of inside connection from Tobias on that side. So Benjamin was forced to do things that he can't do, which is push the ball to his right he kicked it out three times, God say. He booed it out. We mm-hmm. I mean, just can't do it. So when people, I know I had a go at him on the, on, it's not personal. It's just, I can see the lack of layers in his game. And his game is now not charging up and down. And by the way, this is okay. Your job as a club and as a coach is to recognise that that player no longer suits to what I want to do, and i got to move him on. i got to move yeah. him on with two, three years of his contract because this room no longer suits him. What I mustn't do is keep going, keep going, keep going. This isn't about fitness. It's about technical ability. And I hear you guys say to me, oh, he's got great short pass. And I've always thought, well, I can't see it. Do you see what I mean? Because I can't see well, any Well, to, short to pass be fair, c- can,
1: I, can I just make one point? I, I mean – there is a big difference between spending the entirety of your career out on the touchline, overlapping players, and playing passes either back into a center back or inside to forwards and tucking inside and essentially making up a, a, a midfield a central midfielder and having your passes be you know from a different angle with two players and no you know and not the safety of the touchline beside you. Um I mean, he he is doing a very different thing right now after 18 yes. months out, and he's he's not doing it well. I'm not saying that. I also think you're overlooking something, Clive. And I mean, your your analysis is always sharp and on point. But I think sometimes the obvious thing is what you miss, and in this case, it's it seems obvious to me that this is a Samson and Delilah situation, and it's just a matter of the hair being gone.
2: Um, <laughs> so, you. you know, I, you, know, just, you, know you, you know your point on the short path is absolutely right. Of course, you've <laughs> been challenged through different things. However, when people what people do Elliot and. and you know, you're not one of them, and neither are you, Paul. They look at his numbers it's and say... the
3: oh, other bastards. <laughs> <laughs> what people
2: do, they look at his numbers and they say, oh, yeah, he's good at short passing. And I say, okay, let me have a look at that then. Let me have a look at the scenarios where you're good at short passing. Let's have a look at that, shall we? Let's look at how many forward passes, break passes, how many passes you do under pressure. Let's have a look at a couple of games. I've had a look at a couple of games. There's a reason why... A, you know what teams are doing... As the balls come into Bellerin, they're blocking off the line to Pepe. Of course, you would, right? He's just stuck away in the top corner. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's making it hard for him. But what he's got to do now, he's got to drive inside. He's got to shake bake, dummy, drive inside, outside the foot. Either to Pepe or centre forward, ping round the corner. He's got to beat the first man, and shake that's and where bake, his con- that's where his confidence <laughs> is gone. That's where his confidence <laughs> is gone. Yeah. He used to punch off that mark, drive inside, and he was gone, wasn't he? Boom. And everyone's running after him. He, he doesn't feel that anymore. He's trying to pass his way out of trouble. And teams can see it. They're dropping the ball on his head from 50 yards. They're putting pressure on him. They're doubling up on him and they're making him work. I actually thought he we covered well in his game in the second half defensively because he went to a five more and his distance was reduced. Mm-hmm. But people have worked out he is the dope. I've <clears throat> you well, said it before.
1: And look, I mean, this is a guy whose entire Arsenal career – has averaged right around 40 to, in some cases, 50 passes a game at, at his worst season, 84% completion. So he's not been a sloppy player. And again, that's not telling you that he's doing anything great with it. I am not. I don't have any data to back that up in front of me. Yeah. But it tells you yeah. that he's been a safe option. He's been a guy who can get the ball and move the ball. I mean, you want to compare that about against Kolasinac. That guy doesn't pass above 76%, you know, 75%, and, and, and yeah. not even at as high a volume. So, you, you know, you definitely... See a guy who has been a proficient passer. Now, ironically, this year, this season, this weird season, ten appearances, um, eleven appearances actually. He's um, he's at eighty one point nine percent, eighty two percent, still good. His lowest in his career. But uh, setting that aside, I think to me, I look. There's no debating it. He had a, he had a bad game, and he doesn't he doesn't look great right now. So that is what it is. Um, I, I I do want to just talk about though how this system deprives us of an ability to get between the lines of midfield and the forwards. So if you look at Nketi and Aubameyang, they're not really hold up players. They are guys who would prefer to be running in behind. And I like that. I like playing with those kind of players. Pepe, I think, can come deep, receive the ball, and carry it forward. But he's not getting it. And that space in the middle of the pitch at the top of the box is just vacant. So I'll give you an example the City game. Manchester City use a lot of wide buildup. Liverpool do too. But it's how you access wide spaces. How deep are you in the pitch when you move, get the ball wide? Because when you think about a typical city goal, it's Sterling cutting it back to the center of the box, right? Or it's it's an overlapping fullback doing that. Yeah, they they use width a lot. But here's a great example against us: Zone fourteen. I know this is going to sound very technical, but let's let's just just hear me out. This isn't as technical as as you might think. Oh, I love okay? it. Go zone you, fourteen it. is a square at the top of the box that's essentially the middle third. So it's about the ten yards
4: in front of the box, right? Call it that, the Ozo Square. Yeah, call
1: it that. Okay, against City, we made three passes from that square. Okay, against us, City made forty-nine passes from that square. Now, again, I I know it's City, but just hear me out. Forty-nine passes. You know how many of those passes went into the box? Five. The other 44 passes went out to wide spaces, but they went out to wide spaces from that space between the lines, the deep, deep center of the pitch. What happens? Defenders have to collapse. Center backs have to come out. David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne are standing there, and suddenly Rob Holding or Mustafi is pulling into them, or a fullback is tucking in, and now Sterling's got space, or now, you know, um... Marez has space and they go out wide to those players and the defense is all out of sorts. We go to the wings early. We're not in zone 14. If you look at our game against Southampton, if you look at our pass map, there's nothing in that zone. If you look at the passing, I mean, if you have the stat zone app, it's it's really interesting. You can just look at our whole passes. You could draw a square in that space and it's empty. There's nothing in there. So I think what it does is using the wings is a very... Popular and effective strategy, but I think you have to use the wings from a deeper central position. In other words, progress the ball between the lines, force defenders to commit and move, and get out of position, and then slide in those overlapping players or slide in those those um, wide forwards who who have more space to operate. And that's not really how we do it. Now, I'm not trying to kill us because we win this game, and I think there's good things in this game, but I still think that you can see being outshot, not getting a lot of shots, not you know really creating a lot of clear chances i still think we're one dimensional and and this three four three in my opinion is arteta trying to give us structure and solidity and i understand why you'd want to do that but i i now think he has this the challenge to to unleash the hounds so to speak and i you know i wonder if the way you have to do that is you've got to put saka oba and Pepe in the front three, and bring Ozil back into the team and let him pop up in between the lines and in the spaces between those forwards and the two central midfielders. So, I mean, Paul, I, I want to get to some of the players who are really good here. Do you want to address this well, central space? That's a really good point. Uh, I well,
2: hope you, I hope Paul leaves me something left, but you've already answered your own question in there. But, Paul, you go first. Mate. Uh,
1: okay, because well, then I, I want to get on to some of the individuals who I thought did excel and, and you know, not, not dawdle on the, the things that were missing.
3: Yeah, I, I just quickly like to say it's clear we're setting up to play up the wings. I mean, we don't have even a third midf- midfielder. Uh, I'd, I would quibble a little bit on the Ozil that spot being the tenth spot because actually Ozil never spends any time in the middle of the pitch. He goes to one side or the other. I think in I our mind, I
1: think in our mind, Paul, that's what yeah, he, yeah. what to, he is. To I'm to not saying that's what he's me. doing. Yeah, it's it's yeah, what yeah, we. I yeah, I get yeah. you.
3: Uh, and he gets uh, the thing. Ozil does is he gets other people. It, it, when also plays you do play in that area because he's the guy who creates the pass to the guy in that danger zone there and it really is the the zone that causes danger for the opposition but it's interesting that emery had a phase where he basically played up the wings we're now playing up the wings the three of the back leads to playing up the wings yes that's for sure um saka's as Clive pointed is kind of our barometer. He's also where the fluidity of the game goes and he's basically playing up the left, but it is interesting that they say he's killing it in training as a 10 because he's probably the next best thing to get us into that, into the middle of the pitch. But we, you know, we, we set up to play up the wings. We basically had two midfielders because our third midfielder was Saka and we knew where he played. He played on the wing, up the wing or as a fullback or as a wing, it's like um, this. Like it or not, it was the plan. It was. It's kind of not a failure. <laughs> it's a success that we played up the wings. The, the shame of it is we don't have two wings. That would at least create the danger. But. Um, it, this is no accident, right? This is how well, we set up to play here. There's, and, you know, and, and it, yeah, it, I'm, I'm going to turn over to you, but I, I want to make
1: right. one, one super, super quick point because the, the one other thing about playing it up the wings, though, guys, I think this is another thing that's maybe missing with those two central midfielders and no one in front of them. As you progress it up the wings, one path is to cross the ball into the box, but another pass, path is to cut it back to the top of the box. So, okay, get if you get it to the wings early, have a late runner. You know, That's where you miss an Aaron Ramsey or what we think of as an Ozil maybe is Where's the where's who's the guy at the top of the box? We don't we you know what we don't have we yeah, don't have vertical we don't have
3: Cevallos and Chaka are not, not players do who that. ever and, get into the box and
1: it's the verticality right? We, everything's on plane. When we get to the wings, it's. Oba, Enkedia, and Pepe across the box. There's no verticality. There's no. There's no second layer at the top of the box. So sorry, Clive. I know you're chomping at the bit to get no, to this, and okay. this is fertile ground for discussion. So keep it going.
2: Absolutely. Loidal. We should maybe do Loidal. a. We should maybe do a simple breakdown on this, separately, a separate pod. But if there was time, was we could to, do a
1: rewatch. But there's literally yeah, no time. Like, <laughs>
2: like this is um what we're seeing. Yeah, you actually said it. With Man City, what they do is they they have control until they play in your half. So everything they're doing is like 25 yards further up than where we're starting from. That word control. The building blocks are not there. Our centre-backs were playing against three pretty sharp players in long, I can't remember the other guy's name, uh, Danny Ings and one other. the uh, thank you. They're sprinters over the top right? So we did you see any of them sprints in those games? Well, I was worried about it beforehand, so they killed them by staying tight, by dropping off. As there's no pressure on the ball, I think only one or two times I see him look stretched over the top. So what does that do? That creates a big gap between your last man at the back and your first man up front. Man City, what do they do? They squeeze right up, speedy centre-backs, foulers in centre-mid. We're going to squeeze you back, and so it squeezes us into that zone 14, and we can make our pressure there, quick, sharp, bang, bang, bang. One could pass right way, apart pass we're in, low cross, side foot. Right, so the word control. We haven't got those parts in our team yet that allow us to play control possession football from a much higher starting point. And when we do, I think then we will see a much more of a varied build up around the centre point of the pitch, as you alluded to. This is why in this game I was slightly and I was unknown. I know that um, within these, you know, the Pep style. Positional system, they like to have one somebody on the left somebody on the right. It happens to be Saka and and Pepe What's not happening is Pepe's been ruined out there, and he's not touching the ball enough I would have liked to see him come inside a little bit more But maybe that was the instruction because he could have offered some of that creativity around that zone I think it's suited to his feet and his skill set, but it looks as though he's playing to instruction and I think that's why Elliot, with subias stupidity and Fellerie's lack of technical ability and Pepe's disconnection, which is a byproduct, we are not seeing enough into that zone. And I, I think it's it's a style, but I don't think it's, a, it's just where we are in our development at the moment rather than a, a big issue, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and look, I have to also have to acknowledge that sometimes the way you play is a reflection of the opponent you're playing. Southampton like to press. We may have felt that we didn't want to have a lot of possession in the center of the pitch, getting pressed you know, off the ball and and having to run back. This is not a team that does well running backwards towards its goal, uh, yeah. especially when your midfield is Chaka and uh, Ceballos. So it may have been a decision to play long and quick up the wings or over the top to beat the press and not get drawn into making mistakes in the middle of the pitch. And, and I acknowledge that sometimes you look at a game in isolation, you don't realize that there's another team playing, and sometimes what you're doing is a reflection of what that other team does as well. Um, also,
2: what you, also, what you end up doing, and we all do it up to a point, is we all have this style in our minds of what we want to see, and the gap between what we're seeing versus what we want to see allows, sometimes makes us impart our style of what should happen on the game without understanding the instruction. Yeah, that's right. And then we judge players accordingly. And you've mentioned this a few times, and you're Right. You're just not there yet. We haven't got that player. You can see if he's back to goal, turn around. Those players, we, we sold them. Um, we sold Iwobi. <laughs> we sold Mikatarian. Those are the players to take it in those zones, turn around, take on, turn around, ping round around the corner. It might not go to anybody, but they were the build-up crew. Yeah. And- you know what I mean? We and, gave him away.
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, I hear a lot about Genduzi. Oh, yeah, why do you love this midfielder? has got no goals, no assist, no assists, but you look at Ceballos and Shaka on the day, manning the center of our pitch, and 0.0 expected goals, 0.01 expected assists combined. So XG plus XA on the day for our central midfield. Once again, 0.01.
3: And the, the only reason It's probably, harsh, though, right? You, well, There's only two of them. Um, and yet, there's, like there's... we should remember a couple of other moments, like the Chaka ball through to Saka that he crosses to Enketia goal, but Saka's uh, a foot or two offside. That's a delicious ball through there. I mean, go go and re- refresh yourself in terms of how good that pass is. But the, when you've only got two players, uh, you're basically committing to other players doing the creativity. It the, it you. It may be fairer in uh, across the season the point you're making, but I do think it's a little harsh on the guys in this particular game.
1: Okay, sure. i I, I just I just think it's it's the idea that that is still a part of the pitch that is not particularly um, contributory to the way our moves culminate, if that's not not an overly wordy way to put it. So look, look, we're 36 minutes in, and uh, I have done a masterful hosting job of alighting any of the positive performances from this match, although we did sort of praise Aubameyang and Saka, who I think deserve it. Clive, can um, can you give me a little love for Rob Holding, who 18 months out, I think there was a lot of worry, is this a guy who's going to make it? What we need to be a decent team next season, other than a lot, is we need William Saliba to come in and be Pete Cannavaro, but we also need one more person to be fine. And maybe Rob Holding can be fine. I thought this was a good game for him. How do you feel?
2: Yeah, I I, I, sort of, I picked him out the week before, did I, against, um, against Brighton as one of my two on the rise. And I know he looked a little bit sluggish on the goal, but I my, my expectations on him, the reason why I picked him in is I, th- I, I thought he was done, mate. I really did. And he surprised me against Brighton. The first game back, you know, a lot of pressure on him. He surprised me, and what I thought he was really good in this game. And I did feel that the system helped him; it made him less stressed, and he looked more comfortable because he he couldn't see the spaces. You have to remember, you know, a lot of Rob Holding's best games has come in the back three. So all of his stellar performances have come in the back three. And I may, when you see him in the in the, in the back two, he gets run, he gets moved. His recovery going diagonal, going backwards, is not great. But where he was really good in this game for me he was in the air. I really like his ability to move his feet and get up in the air. That's the sort of thing that comes with fitness. He was really quite good. He only made a few minor mistakes and they did not get punished. I was really pleased for him. I didn't think he was man of the match mind, but I, I thought he was really good. And um, I, I look at him and think, okay, you have limits in your agility. You have promise on the ball and that will come with time. You, but what I like about him is his character. He seems to want to do it. He wants to make a success at Arsenal. You, you can look at him and think, I want to make it here. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting. Even though my body's hurting me, I'm going to keep doing it. And um, from a coach perspective, you want someone like that, someone who's coachable, wants to learn, wants to put it all in, really committed, He's come in when we were on. You know, we lost a guy with uh, an injury, we lost another guy because he didn't fancy it. So he's got a two-game suspension, cost us a game, and he's come in barely a start in ages, and he's really done well. And I think it's a great shout that he's done well, and but he's done it within an environment that suits him. If we want to be a proper adults team, we need to move to a back four. And I wouldn't feel confident, so confident with him in the back four consistently during the game to keep out the best forwards in the league. I'm talking about the Rashfords, the Mane's, the Salas. I'm talking about those guys. There's no chance, mate. He can't run with them. Let's just keep it in perspective. He can't move with them. He can't run with them. And we need we need we need Saliba for that, and we need one other, and we need to go and buy that other player. And that's what we. If we've got aspirations, those are the athletes we have to stop. Right, So if we want to play high up on the halfway line, those are the people we need to be looking for, people that can move, that can cover into wide spaces. So though I'm praising Rob Holding, I do see a limit. If I'm Arsenal, I'm loaning him. He's—he's. He's, we got him very early from Bolton. He's done well. He got in, got injured. His appearances for his age isn't enough, and we need to be fair to him. For us, he gives us comfort of having the fourth centre-back or third centre-back. We got to be fair to his career and get him out on loan, so he so we can see the level he can reach if he's going to be good enough or not.
1: Yeah, um, I I think given the situation with our central defence, any signs of progress for Holding that show that he could become a competent uh Premier League starter are are really really encouraging. I, I still think you know you look at at liverpool or you look at city i don't think you have to have great center backs i think you need one who is a leader and 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 can really excel and another who is competent and and if holding can be the competent guy again you just get peak Cannavaro, peak van dyke from saliba which should be no no problem whatsoever you're good uh paul can we move on to another guy uh, to talk about cuz we're we're i want to get to sure. everything and there's still a lot to get to um emmy martinez is not a player that i have super high hopes for long term i mean i think Mm. leno is our long-term starter and martinez is a guy who you know sort of toiled away as a backup but i thought he was really good in this game And, and one area where he was definitely better than leno is his long distribution um leno has been really poor kicking along sort of balloons them up to the halfway line and we usually see it come right back to us leno has this arrowed sort of um like laser of a, of a kick that goes a little further, a little straighter, um, and it caught Southampton out on a couple occasions, including the spectacular one to Aubameyang. So I, I thought that was a great feature of his game that varies our build up a little bit. And I thought he was certainly secure and safe with his handling and his saves. So do you think that he deserves maybe a little more credit than he's been given?
3: Yeah, I definitely feel actually over the last two games that I've seen. It felt almost from the get-go that Martinez has a uh, a long ball in him that Leno, I remember criticism of Leno's distribution early on, and I'm like, oh, it's a little early for that. But he really hasn't, he doesn't have any of the Edisons about him. Uh, I I saw a conversation where somebody just uh, defended his like mid-range chip, but in my, my recollection of it, I, I've been frustrated even with Leno's kind of Mid-range dinks or the dinks over to the side. I think the one area Emmy definitely surpasses him on is this uh, the long ball, which, he, which he's which is pinged once or twice, and uh, I think his mid-range is is reasonable. We haven't seen enough of it yet to know if it's really good. Um, I mean, he has an option with Tierney there um, that maybe Leno hasn't had along the way, where uh, Tierney was our most progressive passer in terms of distance in this game, apart from Martinez, you'd expect the the keeper probably to take that most, most Mm -hmm. matches. But I think if we get tuning on the pitch regularly, then now Martinez has a couple of options. We've been going along quite a lot rather than, you know, we can remember times and games in the past where we've like uh, brought the pressure on and, and, asked teams to show us what they've got pressing us in our own box. And unfortunately they did. Um, But at the moment, we're we're quite liberally spraying it long. And maybe that's for a reason, that there's too much change at the back. But maybe it's also because there's a level of acceptance and recognition that Martinez is a good long ball hitter. This game, certainly, I mean, there's no two ways about it. We decided to uh, forget the midfield in terms of progression and lean into long balls, sweeping balls, quick movements. Uh, We saw with tyranny a few times. Uh, Chaka hit a couple of long balls too, as he always does, and certainly Martinez. Um, so it's kind of the way we we went on this one. We 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 conceded we weren't going to win the midfield battle, or we'd let them have it, and we went for long and ping it, and we were direct, uh, kind of route one kind of stuff. And yeah, Martinez has done good. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously small sample size problem here. Two games. Um, almost two games, not even two full games, but I guess we're going to see him for the rest of the season, and we'll get a, a really good evaluation out of him, what he's up to.
1: Yeah. Um. All right. So, Clive, let's talk uh, substitutions because this is always an interesting thing with, um, with Arteta, and whatever I think of Arteta, which is mostly that he's good, that he has an interesting philosophy, that he's well spoken, that he, you know, seems to. Have all the all the makings of a future top quality coach. One of the things that you have to learn on the job is, is substitutions. I've been critical of them up to this point, point. and if I'm being totally honest, I'm not sure I loved them in this game either. They felt a little bit uh, what you have, you hold, which is never really my preference as an Arsenal fan because I don't trust us to hold it. Um, but you know, one one of them he didn't have a choice. Obviously, Tierney cramping up. Having experienced what they call heat for the first time in his life, so he had to he had to step out and, and Kolasinac coming in, and you know I, I certainly don't think Kolasinac is cut out to really play a role that's key in, in the buildup. and and we know that already.
3: Percent passing.
1: Um. Yeah. No. They, take take the silver linings where they are, but so do you have a um do you have an instinct about the substitutions? I mean, obviously Willa comes in and scores off the rebound from Lacazette's free kick. Lacazette came in and. I guess he took the free kick. That's something. What 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 are your thoughts on how he how he tried to change the game?
2: Yeah, we got we got a couple of sort of Stanley Knights in in Willick and Maitland-Niles. They can come on and do lots of things. And I think you know if you're looking at it like for like and you're staying the same system, you're thinking, well, why is Willock so wide? Why did he bring on Nelson? Um, he didn't bring on Nelson this game. I didn't. I didn't really know. I heard Andrew say today. They felt Nelson was, um, you know, maybe culpable to the second goal at at Brighton. I didn't sense that at the time, but I was too angry at the time (laughs) to sense (laughs) everything. But Arteta made a real point of saying how well the subs did. And he was really pleased with all of them. He said, they brought on everything I wanted. You know, and if you look at them, you know, how they all performed, uh, like I said, could have flashed a header in at the near post. We did fine. Um, Maynard and Niles give a lot of energy, and it's exactly what I thought should have happened at Brighton. He should have just come on 15 minutes. He should have come on at 65 minutes, and I don't mm-hmm. think we lose that game. It's not because I think he's, you know, I, because I think he's, you know, an unbelievable player. I just think it's horses for courses. You've got a player that's running out of legs. You bring someone on who's got legs. It's as simple as that. Um, Classic came on was quite solid, and we don't scored the goal, so... I thought the substitutions. You're, you're you're hostage to your results, aren't you? You know, um, if the, if Southampton finds some energy come back into the game, we're wondering about those substitutions. But and we're we're asking for Azul in, in Zone 14. We're asking for all sorts of things, and the results dictate things. But I was quite pleased to see um and Art in particular. Willock, I wasn't sure what he was doing, but he's just got that. He just got that, knack. got that knack. you know.
3: Clive, can I say something on Willock? Yes, mate, go ahead. It, it, it's a, for some reason, I ended up adopting him along the way. I thought he was really, I think he did exactly what he was asked to do. He's actually the first exactly. sub we bring on on 63 Minutes. Pepe, as as I think we've intimated, wasn't doing too bad. But that's not the same as, you know, good subs are subs that anticipate the problem you're going to have. Yes,
2: absolutely, Paul. And, and Pepe it, was not going to get better, was he really?
3: No. Time? and it wasn't that he was doing bad it was that Bellerin was getting all the pressure down that side Willock came on everything Willock go and look at Willock again in this game everything he does comes off his passing's good his cover's good he's all over the pitch i mean people are bitching about him coming on on the as a right winger his touches are are kind of all over the place he covers the whole pitch it's no surprise to me that he was the sharpest and most alive to the free kick opportunity. He actually does a very neat job of putting that away. But even that aside, even if you hadn't scored that goal, he did exactly what Arteta was looking for up and down legs. He went past uh, Southampton players that had to bring him down, drag him down. And um, oh, he right. may not have a great final ball when he's going into the final third, but he's probably the one player you want bringing the ball out of our midfield, uh, wherever he starts on the pitch. Um, you know, he did a job and that's now 34 appearances for the team this year, which is astounding. Uh, I'm not even claiming he's been great. Uh, uh, I, Elliot, Elliot and I had this bet uh, in terms of number of appearances. I think it was number we'll,
1: number starts was the bet, to be fair.
3: Yeah, number starts. That's <laughs> right. Uh, had we had appearances in there, we'd never have guessed it was going to be 34. I don't think Elliot's point, I think, to. To summarise it was, we were overrating him from pre-season, and I don't disagree with that. I think he's actually kind of underperformed what I thought he could. Not the same as he doesn't bring value when he gets on. And, uh, you know, he's 20, big frame that he hasn't grown into, so I think mm-hmm. there's upside there. But I think as a sub, three managers now this season have leaned into him as Mr. kind of... I uh, mean, uh, you can do it all. You can lose, yeah, he you you can do, do a bit all. of everything.
1: Well, wait a minute. You uh, can't apart, pass. Apart from
3: the
1: now, when, <laughs> when I when
2: I say that, when I say that, when you're you're in a game, it's three minutes ago, twenty five minutes ago, and you've got a problem, and you bring on someone that's tall, leggy, two way, can drive, can score. Okay, but can,
1: can, can, just really yeah. quick, because I, but, I th- this but, is but, where I, think... I will say
2: that. Okay, and, go, go go What me. I will say, anyway, I'm I'm talking from a coach perspective. That doesn't mean you're going to guarantee performance because I did watch the game versus, uh, I'm not sure, which, was it City game where I thought he disappeared on his own well, backside? What, what, what
1: about Brighton? I mean, we brought him and on, and, 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 and I think it was a... He, he didn't kill the game, but the subs, including him, did.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't his fault that he was brought in in that situation. It should have been somebody else. So, but I do understand why he gets used, and he's a player. I, 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 he's a player that I sort of struggle to read. But just because I struggle to read him doesn't mean there's not a player there, because other people are reading him. All the way through his career... I struggle to read him. But he keeps getting ahead of people, getting ahead of people, getting ahead of people. He's playing for England young under 21s. He's getting in. He's doing well. He's well thought of. And so I've just got to sit back, you know, I and just say, you know what, I don't read him perfectly, but I can see why coaches pick him and use him. Although I'd love a little bit more consistency, obviously, but we have to remember that he's still 20 years of age. Mm.
1: Yeah. So, I think I think what I would say is I you know, I, I am a Willick skeptic still a little bit, but a midfielder who can score goals gets patience because not many of them do it, and God knows we need it. I don't know that I see his ceiling being as high as some people, but I do know that he does score goals in the middle. This goal is it's hey, it's a rebound off a free kick. But he has he has that instinct. He has that instinct to get to where the goals are and score them and run past a a player and get into the box and score. And I, you know, I mean, he's not Aaron Ramsey. He's not that caliber of talent. And I I think you say, well, he's still young. I think even at this age, Aaron Ramsey maybe flashed a little more talent. But a midfielder who can score goals can get a little more patience. I fully acknowledge that. And using him now, when our season is probably washed anyway, and you get a chance to really get a little more information about who he could be, I'm fine with it. I just haven't seen the top-end talent yet um look there were chances he may this not be Aaron
2: ramsey but he could end up being a ray parlor for us mm. do you know what i mean as he develops you know hard-working absolutely critical team player that tucked in I, from the right hand side and drove forward and the, things the, happen but Go the right thing me. is
1: Clive. sorry not not to to stretch this debate out too much but i think the statement that he's hard-working Overstates what he adds defensively. I still think a big weakness in Willick's game is that he does switch off going back the other way. That he does sometimes let players run by him, or doesn't doesn't his recovery runs aren't sharp enough and and uh, powerful enough, and that he he does he does get bypassed. I mean, so that's not. That's not mm-hmm. Romford Pele. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not right. Really
2: okay. I think he's not, def- I think he's not defensively switched on. And, but why? I, I, I tend to look at things the other way around, I tend to look at what he can do. Yeah, and he challenges people when he gets a ball, he challenges them in behind them. He takes it past them. He takes it at people. We've got too many passes. We've got a couple of passes. that just, we've got Doozy. we've got Sabias. we've got Shaka. Now shaka has got, Range of pass. You know what? You can be a passer. That's your skill. The other two passed away. They just passed. They just passed the ball around. They just passed the ball backwards. You need some devil to get to the areas that you want us to get to. And I'm not saying he's the answer, but I'm encouraged by what he tries to do. And if he's got the confidence to flick it around the corner and drive at people at that age, that's good. That's a good thing. You're absolutely right about his negatives. But I just think, you know, I've had a good look at him on video and some clips and stuff. I think, bloody hell, you're quite challenging. Southampton's one of their best players is that Hoedberg, whatever his name is. Since soon came on, he just shut him down. Shut him down, ran him off his feet. He had to go off. You know, he was done. You know, and it's like, OK, he's fresher. But I just think, you know, there's something there. I'm not saying what it is, Elliot. I'm mm. at I don't know. I'm what not saying it is. there's not something think. there,
1: by the way. I, I want to be clear. I, I think what's there, Clive, is a midfielder who's got an instinct to get into the box and finish moves. And I think that that is a hugely powerful trait to have, especially at a young age. And players that score at young ages tend to score a lot at older ages. And so that would be the reason I'd give him more patience. I think his passing has to be cleaner, and I think his defensive awareness has to sharpen up I mean I, if we got on Ramsey's case Clive because we're like oh he just yeah. bombs forward and vacates his space and you know if, if we're gonna get on Ramsey's case for that then I think Willick certainly deserves some of that same scrutiny if that's if, if you catch my drift
2: I think my, my feeling with Ramsey was always he was a third midfielder. And I think Willock has reco- always played a third or a fourth midfielder, yep. and I think that suits him. Ramsey, I felt, I honestly feel we mismanaged his career. Well, that's the truth. And I think if we allowed him to do more of what he likes to do, he could have been better. I and really I believe
3: we, that. We shouldn't forget with Willock, he has tremendous legs. I mean, just mm. his ability to... Does he have? Yeah, he does. I mean... Uh, he bestrides the world like a colossus. colossus but yeah, okay. <laughs> seriously, when he takes that ball upfield, uh, unfortunately, it, it highlights this feeling that the final pass into the final third to Aubameyang or whoever is going to go astray. But nobody in our team takes that ball out of our midfield like he does and streaks. You know, he beats players. He's not a brilliant dribbler, but he's got really good progression and dribbling uh, stats because... He'll just go past players and they stay gone past. Yeah. Um. So if if a couple of things, right, projecting potential wise, if he can get a little bit more quality, maybe, you know, he is only 20. Now, uh, just a little bit of a calmer head, a uh, little bit more experience growing into the body a bit. I mean, he's one leg longer than the other. We should remember um, his body's a surprise to him. He had to relearn the whole balancing. So who knows, maybe you've got a little more extra upside than tidbit. your average kid. I did not kid. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's awesome. Um, let's move on from Joe Willick. Uh, and Aww. I don't mean I don't mean Arsenal. I mean the podcast. Although maybe I mean Arsenal. You decide. Um, <laughs> let, let's wrap up with the Genduzi conversation just real quick. Because I think mm. as far as this game goes, we won it. We did what we needed to. There were chances. I mean, Pepe gets it to Enketiah, who sort of toe pokes it to nowhere when he could have put in Aubameyang. You know, not maybe as easy as, as people thought, Yang had the shot that saved, Yang had the, and this is what I love about Oba, spends all day chasing lost causes to some extent, gets one clean chance, it's a really good save to keep him out, and then the ball comes to him in behind, the game is probably won anyway, and does he go for it himself? No, he tries to feed it into Enkedia, which is probably the right play, and he just doesn't quite get it there, I just, I think he's a great team player, I think he's a phenomenal athlete, and um, just incredible quality, and we probably will never fully appreciate what we had in Yang because of the period where he's been here, but I thought this was a great game for him. So, Mateo Ganduzi left out altogether. Arteta says, you know, we're dealing with this internally. This is a dressing room thing. Nobody else gets to know what it is. When he's pressed about it after the game, he says, no, no, it's tactical, not disciplinary. I think he's being cheeky. I think it is disciplinary, but he's, he's trying to keep it in the club, which is smart. Um, I don't know if it's an agent I don't know if it's the press just being the press, or I don't know if there's anything real to it, but after the game, uh get football France football news now or whatever goes big like with, with a story of Ganduzi if the stars align wants to go and the club's willing to let him go for around forty million euros, potentially to PSG or Barset him Madrid, uh Inter. Look.
3: I think it's play, a la keep story. It's a la keep story, so,
1: right? The GFFN or whatever
3: so, they call it. So that means replay. it's probably the real deal.
1: Yeah, well, look. The fact that this comes out the same evening of a game where he's not in the squad and it's a behind closed doors sort of disciplinary response from Arteta is a little bit um, opportunistic. So maybe it's an agent saying, well, if you're going to do this to my player, I'm going to agitate a little or who knows what it is. But let me start with you, Clive. Clive. First of all, do you think that Arteta has handled this the right way—the sort of keeping it behind closed doors, but leaving him out of the squad after the kerfuffle <laughs> around the Brighton game? How do you feel that this young coach has handled this young player in this specific instance?
2: I think he's he's been consistent. He's been consistent with um, Guendouzi, with Maylon Niles, with Urso. I think there are the three players that he's he's more or less know that. They haven't quite shown the right commitment. They've been taken out of the team. So you got the top boy on the big money. He's been taken out. You've got the young academy boy, grown up. He's been taken out. You got the young superstar that's in basically in the French team, nearly at the age of twenty, and he's you know going to be in their team there two three years. He's been taken out. So there's no there's no favouritism there. You got you got to show the right attitude. I did read somewhere. I don't know how true it is, but the sort of things that he was doing in Dubai was very childish. You know childish behavior in video sessions and mocking behavior and the sort of things that are really not um becoming of a football in a serious environment so that's why he got pulled down a a step but he came back strong and now he's you know something's happened in the background here there's been a reaction and um personally it's just the workplace it's the workplace and you manage it um, we used to. I can't sit here and I've spent two years calling it the colony Crash. And the moment someone comes in and basically criticizes a player and drops him because he's not showing the right attitude and standards, then say, "Oh well, you know, I'm not sure he's doing the right thing." That doesn't work. As far as I'm concerned, we need to raise our standards completely. And if you're going to be chippy and gobby and all the rest of it, and make sure you're, you're as good as Patrick Vieira, right? Make sure you're, you're you've got those sort of leadership qualities. Make sure you're that good. And he he's a good player, promising player. He's got faults. And there are people listening to this right now who could name them. He's got faults. He touches the ball too much. He can't play on the half turn. He's not super quick. He can't head it. He hasn't really got a from a inside. You know, he wants to play on the left-hand side. When he's on the right-hand side, he's limited. With distance of pass and his range. I feel there's a player there that could, could get better. But he needs to recognise he's got a coach that maybe could help him get better. If he feels that he's suddenly not the right place for Arsenal, that could be a sign to a couple of things, Ariel. I'm going to worry you now. When he had joined the club, he immediately joined the the French boys, you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang. And if he's edging for a move, that could be telling you what could be happening to Aubameyang and Lacazette, potentially. You know, we care less about Lacazette, but we I certainly care about Aubameyang. You know, so could that be just that that group of players moving on, full stop? Maybe he feels he'll be left behind without them. Mm. I don't know. That does happen. It does happen. It certainly uh, does.
3: I think the pressure, Clive, is all this playing for the national team in the next big competition. We've seen it time and time again. France is the best team in the world. Uh, Gendouzi has his eye on it. He's second string at Arsenal. And you know he's he's not going to sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else get that midfield berth for France. I think is what's going on here. Mm.
2: It maybe could be could be some of it, but I feel um, I just feel he's a demonstrative character. And I, I got me interview. I I, I I I'm not bothered. I'm not really bothered as long as we get paid because I've sat there for two years and I've not seen dominating midfield performances.
3: He hasn't you solved know? all our problems, has he? He
2: hasn't solved them, right? We're still conceding shots, I mean, You know the numbers. We're conceding shots. Our dribble pass stats are not great. He's not solving these things. You no, know, he's I, not solving these things.
1: I don't think there's any need for me at this moment to provide a full-throated defense of Matteo Um, There may be a time for it. I think Matteo Ganduzi is an incredibly talented player who just turned 21 a month ago. Who has 4,000 Premier League minutes or so under his belt? Who, when you look at ball progression stats, both passing and carrying, is one of the best central midfielders in the Premier League at that. Uh, again, I'm not saying those stats tell you everything. I said I wasn't going to provide a full throated defense. This is a, a partial throated defense. <laughs> um, I think he's, he's a great player. Look, he's a 20, just turned 21 year old kid who's come into a really tricky time at Arsenal played a lot, and played pretty well. He's had some games that he's taken totally by the scruff of the neck. And to do that at that age, I think, indicates a very high ceiling. Every player can be sold. Every player. If you come into Arsenal with a check that has the right number on it, you can can have Saka. If you want to give us 80 million pounds, Saka's yours. I don't care. There are no sacred cows. The players can be replaced. You just cannot sell for less than their value. If the goal is to swap Ganduzi for Thomas Partey, like, no, 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 no. No, we're not, we're not swapping a 21-year-old 20, 20, with huge upside for a 27-year-old who just went through a pretty nothing season um, in La Liga to come in and spend two years being okay in a position where we got another player, by the way, Lucas Torreira, who still hasn't really gotten a chance to shine, thrive in, in his designated position. I think where Mateo Ganduzi should be playing on the pitch and how we can thrive on the pitch is one thing. What, what I do think is curious, Clive, all of a sudden in the wake of this, in my mentions, a lot of it is, he's a disruption, he's a problem. Get rid of him before he destroys the, the dressing room. Get rid of him before people notice he's a problem. And here's what I don't get. Emery picked him. Arteta picks him. We know they're willing to bench guys if they don't work hard. We know Maitland-Niles got benched. We know Ozil got benched. Can do he continue to get picked. There's no suggestion he doesn't work hard. There's no suggestion he doesn't train hard. The coaches are picking him, which I think is an indication that he does have the right attitude. He is precocious. He is a big brat. But being a big brat doesn't mean you're a destroy i mean ses fabregas was a brat now don't get me wrong mateo Ganduzi is no ses fabregas but clive is the fact that he's a brat on the pitch why are we presuming that that means he is a bad teammate or a bad i mean the coaches pick him for a reason we know they're willing to put, put people on the bench if they don't work hard and Ganduzi gets picked so wh- what reason do i have to believe that he is somehow not a, a good kid or not a good player just because he's a bit of a
2: brat well, no one's saying that, to be honest with me. I mean, We could you. Well, they, say, I mean, you know, look
1: at my mentions. Someone is saying that. He, you know, there are <laughs> okay. a lot of people saying he's, he, you know, he's he's a bad guy. He's got attitude issues. He, need, you know, he's got an attitude problem. Maybe on the Cause, pitch, he because
2: does. yeah, because people read the stuff, right? So I, I look at him and I say to myself, I have a problem with how I feel. Full stop. You know, you know that, right? So I don't think we control matches. We don't call control enough facets of the game. And I look at him and I say, "Okay, you're in a situation where you've got a a, a guy who's a pretty good coach from midfield's perspective that can really help you." And I think there's things for you to learn, but there needs to be a level of humility to learn these things. And I do think he he potentially, i maybe I'm being slightly biased by the fact that we know all the financials, we know where we we know we need a rebuild. And subconsciously I look around the squad at opportunities to to make money, to rebuild, to, to create those pillars to allow other people to flourish. When you have to do that, when you, you you there's going to be casualties and there could be two casualties that players that we generally like in Bellerin and Gwendosey that that could be seventy million pounds, sixty million pounds, whatever the number could be. Now, there's that's all upside for us. Now, we've got ourselves in this situation. We've got ourselves out of Champions League. We bought the wrong players last season. We didn't need to buy Lacazette. We should have bought Young first up. Yep. <laughs> have Giroud. yep. We've made these mistakes with Denny Suarez. We've made these mistakes by messing up against Brian pace and missing out Champions League by one point. So now, because of that, I'm looking around at Guendouzi. Well, I just spent five minutes talking about Joe Willock and how good he could be. But because I know that Joe Willock's not going to be worth 50 million euros, 45 million euros at this moment in time, I'm looking at the opportunity. We bought some for seven mil. We can get rid of him for 45, 50. So it's it's actually colouring my view. You see what I mean? When I'm somebody that always gives a young player a chance, always. My only worry with that is the things that we're hearing are more about attitude. And it's not just things we've heard at, Awesome. There were there were things when he was at PSG. There were things when he was at Lorient. Are they Where attitude on the pitch though? I mean, he a bit noisy.
1: This is my question, Clive, because he if he was if he wasn't a hard worker, if he was disruptive, we certainly know well, that thanks. both Emery and Arteta would have sat him down, and they've both been willing to play him. So I guess I just wonder why are we are we taking the fact that he's a brat on the pitch and then projecting that he's also a bastard? you know, in, in training. <laughs> I don't, can, don't think just, so.
3: Yeah. There's plenty of noise about him being a, yeah. a challenge in training. Um, I don't think him being a brat on the pitch is a problem at all for a manager. Most managers will say one thing to the cameras, but think another thing. They'll want that feistiness. He's got a great ad- attitude. The problem is he is not a player who wants to be on the bench. And the problem is, uh, overall is that Arteta hasn't seen him as a starter for whatever reasons. I think because it doesn't solve all his problems. Talented as he may be, he's not the midfielder Arteta wants right now with the other midfielders and the challenges we have. Mm. I mean, we've seen he's leaned into this up the wings. That's one example that that the midfielder you put in there, may it may not be looking for just the best talented midfielder in the center of the pitch. He's looking for, for something that works in his lineup. And the, the fundamental issue is Gendouzi is not going to take well to being on the bench, and Arteta d- has not had him as a starter in the same way he's become accustomed to with Emery, and he has not taken it well.
1: Can I Let, let me ask you two questions, Paul and Clive, because we got to wrap up. <laughs> what is the amount of money that Ooh. you would sanction – if if that were your, if you were entitled to do so, sanction um, a Ganduzi sale, and what is your pers- your expectation of what this player will be? And, and and I mean, just sort of qualitatively, like exceptional, huge future will be a good, solid pro, won't really make it. So those two questions: What's the amount of money you'd sell him for, and what do you think he will become, regardless whether it's with us or someone else?
3: Well, I'll go with the second question, which is. I the, This is the kind of player you want to be buying, not selling. We already have them. I think it's kind of a bit of a travesty that we haven't look at some of the players we may be stuck with who might be working within the system versus uh, the kinds of players you want to go out and get. The, this is the player that if Mislintat brought in, and I guess this might actually be a player that he had something to do with him coming in. Um, you'd want to hold on to what is a reasonable fee from um, if we got 30. Uh, the thing is, uh, here's a pre covid number. Who knows what the market's going to be? I would say if it's 30 million, I'm disappointed. It's got to be 40 million plus uh, post covid. Maybe values will get adjusted downwards. Who the fuck knows? But pre covid 40 million plus, I guess. But I don't I wouldn't want to sell them.
1: Yeah, I think you said the most important thing. Where we are in a rebuild, this is the kind of player you want to be acquiring, not selling. I mean, get rid of Shaka. Get rid of Louise, Get rid of Mustafi. Get rid of Lacazette. Get rid of these late 20s, early 30s, nothing players who aren't taking you anywhere. And keep the players or buy the players whose upside suggests that if things go right, you have something really special. But, of course, at a certain price, everybody's sellable. I do think if if it starts at 40 if it's 40 million or less it's not it's a non-starter above 40 million depending on what post covid um, uh, prices look like maybe you have to start to think about it but you do look at it and you say all right if i gave you 50 million pounds and you had to hand it to raul and i had to say do you think that the club is going to get it right some people say yeah i trust the club to do it and some people say they don't um, but I certainly don't want to be swapping a 21-year-old 20, 20, with huge upside for a 27-year-old who's, meh, That that's not a move we want to be making, especially with the time horizon we have to get better. We're not going to be great next season. We're not. You know, you never know. Things go crazy and you somehow wind up top four, but we're not going to be great. So shoot for a team that can be great in a few seasons. Um, so I think you make the most important point, Paul, which is this is the kind of thing we want to be acquiring right now, not not moving on from... For me, I think his ceiling is a star. Now, you know what's hard, Clive? I don't know that anybody really knows how to evaluate central midfielders. I don't I mean, if I said to you who are some of the best sort of central midfielders in world football, they're not guys that score. They're not guys that assist necessarily. They're not guys that defend a ton, you know, they're not they're not Conte, you know, and they're not Kevin De Bruyne. So what are they? And it's funny because when you look at the chart that's been going around Twitter of him being one of the mo- best progressors of the ball among central midfielders, there's a lot of players on that chart. They say none of these guys are good because we don't really know. I mean, is Henderson a good player? Yes. How do we know? You know what I mean? Because he's on a good team. But like, if Henderson so was he on, does. if Henderson, what I'm he saying if if Henderson was on Southampton, would we even notice him? You know what I mean?
2: So, so I don't these are, are players you don't Sunderland. notice. You got notice at Sunderland and. Mainlight the Liverpool looking at him very close and you end up at Liverpool. So, well,
1: I mean it's Barcelona Inter Atletico Madrid and PSG looking at Gandusi yeah. to be fair. So um, right, I, right, give, give be, me your answer though. What, what's your answer yeah, to the question? Can I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please, sorry. <laughs> so well like, I could um, just keep talking. That's always an option.
2: So yeah, he's not gonna go down. And you know I look at him, I think he's probably more like developing into a a Tony Cruz type midfielder. Right? So Tony Cruz used to be a ten. And Elliot, I've sat here and you said to me, you know what, Doozy could potentially play as a ten. You said that more because of a pressing ten and his personality to get on the ball. And the reason, and also I think being a slightly one-up, one layer up, if he wants to go dancing around like he does, he needs to be pulled in closely sometimes. If he wants to go off dancing, then it's 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 fine because you're not leaving the team open. So we played him as a six. He did he did quite well as a six, actually, not too bad. Yep. Um it's not really...
3: A, a lone six. Given the A, give a responsibility, then he doesn't have to work out where he needs to be against somebody else. He yeah, knows it's his job to, to stay home.
2: He has to stay within that zone, that middle zone, and, and see people to left and right and get his distances right. So I think that forced him to be disciplined. Rather than you play him as an eight, he goes off. He was a free eight. He goes, he goes off, and you can't build around people like that. So I look at him. I look at young Tony Cruz, and I think that's what you could be eventually once you learn how to shoot, which he can't do. You know, he's, he's got to be better um, in passes right into the killer zones of the, of the game. But I think the way teams play abroad when people drop off and, and you just got to move the ball and look for opportunities, if you think back to that left zone pass from him to Aubameyang against Spurs, that's a brave pass. That's a good pass. That that shows you a bit of stardom there. Right? But now look at the squad. It's all about squad management. Look at the squad. You say... Save. if Arteta looks at Torreira and says, "You know what? I fancy Torreira and Shaka at my base. So I might add one more." And I look at my attacking midfielders and I think, "Well, I've got Saka, I've got Young Kiko Smith Rowe coming. I could invest in there and get a true attacking midfielder." And I feel sometimes with the system that we're playing, this kid might just fall between the cracks because we, we, what is he at the moment? We can see he's got talent. But what is he, and we're not quite sure where he fits in this system. So he could find himself just slightly on the outside, because the style that we want to play doesn't suit him. You know, as soon as Shaka's come back, bang, he's in front of the back four. That's not him. You see what I mean? Mm. He could play. Tobias so is not here for the future, but we've all seen Shaka and Quinduzi play together, and that doesn't fill us with confidence because we know he's not athletic enough. Right. So yeah. if it's Quinduzi and one other, and Shaka goes. Then let's have a chat, shall we? But we don't win without Shaka, so that's a bit of a risk. And so we're developing the player, much like Willock. We got this player, a couple of players. We're not. Why are they? We can see they're good, but what are they, and where do they fit in the midfield structure of an Arsenal team, which we're still learning about? And that's why that conversation about him going is a valid one, because it's squad management.
1: Yeah. uh, Look. I actually do think he's a player who could have a future further up the pitch. He likes to step in front of a pass. He likes to intercept. He can step past a man. He can make the pre-assist pass, the the dagger ball, you know, in behind between the center back and the full back for the for the winger, or the full back to run onto. I I think he's got it to play higher up there. I agree with you that we don't know who he is yet necessarily, and some of that is down to having played in a team for most of his Arsenal career under Emery, where the system. Changed every single day, you know, and that's
2: very hard for a young player. So, but, but can you see Arteta moving towards that? It's the same scenarios. He's a flexible coach. It's what people do. I, I argued this before. It's okay to be flexible, but maybe what Arteta's doing, I can always hear Tim shouting in my ears. What Arteta's done, is he's, he's created a base. Created base that's what you need, yeah. Base structure. That's what you need. Then he's starting to move, right? So... He's creating a base. This is how we are. This is how we live. This is what we do. This is where I want to be flexible here. But I need you to stand still here. And he's developing that. And I, and I do feel that word flexible, we're going to use it a lot more in the next year or so because I see that's where we're heading.
1: Yeah. Let's leave it there. Um, We covered a lot of ground and we're going to be recording another podcast every Like Willock. Monday. Yeah. Oh, so, you know.
3: <laughs> Let's not go back there, Paul. <laughs> just, just stretching my legs there.
1: Yeah, like a colossus. Paul's on Twitter at pausing in my pants. Thanks, Paul. Mm-hmm. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC, thanks, Clive.
2: Thank you very much.
1: My name's Alex Smith, you can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner loses five star review, write nasty things about Scott and Tim in the comments. Uh, we will pick this up after the Sheffield game and before the Sheffield game and all around the Sheffield game and on and on and on. All the football happening all the time. In any case, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're hanging in there as the world continues turning for the time being. And the Arsenal world. Look it up. Three points. Three more points at the weekend. What do you say? We'll talk to you after Arsenal's ten, Sheffield Mills.